Hi, this is Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio, a project sponsored by Cybermouse Multimedia, bringing you free podcasts to download or listen to live online on your favorite podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher.com, SoundCloud, or just Google us and you will find us everywhere. Enjoy. I'd like to say that the Almost Home music by Andy Whitehouse, with which we introduced this week's podcast, is very, very appropriate, because if you listen to the lyrics, Andrew talks about being in the engine room of a ship that's taking them home, and they're almost home. The reason that is appropriate is because this week's interview is with Richard Hennessy of Focused Hypnosis in Sheffield. Just Google that, you will come up with Richard and everything you want to know about him. Other than that, just listen on. And Richard gives you chapter and verse about hypnosis, about his part in it. The reason it's appropriate, the music, is that being in the engine room is the way I look at hypnosis itself, because it allows you to get down into the engine room of your mind, where things happen, where things work, and where you can make a change and make a difference. So without any further ado, Let's listen to Richard introduce himself. Hi, uh, my name's Richard Hennessy. I'm a hypnotherapist, have been since 2009, and my business is Focused Hypnosis, and I'm based at the Sheffield Wellness Centre. Do you have a website? Yep, uh, the hypnotherapy website is sheffield-hypnosis.co.uk, and the Sheffield Wellness Centre is sheffieldwellnesscentre.co.uk as well. And so you, you're available for treatments and therapies, etc. Yep. yep. If people are interested in finding out more about hypnotherapy, they're welcome to contact me. And also, if there are any therapists that are looking for a, a space to work from, then then that's also available through the Sheffield Wellness Centre, which is another part of my business. One of the things I want to ask you about hypnosis. Hypnosis has had a sort of a checkered career. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ever since Mr. Mesmer. Oh, didn't always use it correctly, did he? I don't know. Nope. It goes back further than that as well. It, but well, yeah. It's got a very long history, thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. But brought to the modern attention, I think, by yeah. people like Mesmer. But So people's conception of hypnosis is not always an accurate one. Sometimes it's skewed by the fact that there are people like stage hypnotists. So mm-hmm. how would you differentiate between a stage hypnotist and a hypnotherapist? It's a really good question, um, and it's one that I come across quite a lot because, like you said, people's perception of hypnosis is based on what they see and what they hear, and and a lot of people hear about the stage stuff and apply it to the therapy side, which is unfair. So there are some commonalities. So a stage hypnotist and a hypnotherapist both use very similar, if not identical, processes to get people to the point of being in a hypnotic trance, but it's once that that subject or client is in that position it's what the person does with that that differentiates whether it's stage or therapy so a therapist will be doing things to work with the individual to help them to do things that they want to do that empower them that help them to move their lives forward the stage hypnotist once they have someone in a hypnotic state they're going to do what the masses will find appealing or entertaining usually at the expense of the person that's in the trance rather than assisting them. Yeah, on that basis, I mean, I've seen on the TV, I've seen stage hypnotism, I've never seen it live, I'll be fair. 
and, and I can see how they select out from the audience mm. the ones most receptive um, yeah. to hypnotic suggestion. And usually they pick someone who's almost instant. Don't yeah. They? Now, can you be hypnotised against your will? There's debate about this among the community, um, but I lean towards the answer of yes, but it takes a very certain skill set to be able to achieve that. It takes a very certain amount of time. It has to be, I don't think it's the kind of thing that could be done anywhere near as quickly as uh, just putting somebody into a trance and and just doing it quickly. It would have to be a, a more sort of long-term build-up of conditioning a person to be in a particular state to do what you want them to do without them knowing that you're doing that. Well, I was listening to a programme on the television uh, about someone who'd been with a cult. And mm. he said that what they hadn't realised was that they were being hypnotised six or seven times a day mm -hmm. uh, using the procedures that the cult employed to to capture and keep these people. Yeah. So you could naturally understand that people might have a fear of hypnotism. Yeah, but those same techniques that the cult leaders are using are exactly what religious leaders have used for thousands of years as well, and they're exactly what politicians use as well when they're giving speeches. Um, so you can see it's it's effective communication is what hypnosis is, and not just sound bites then, like politicians. No, no, but but they even with those sound bites, they can be embedded commands, they can be direct or indirect suggestions. So, yeah, it's think of hypnosis as effective communication, and there have been people throughout history that have been really good communicators. Look at generals of armies. Alexander the Great was a fantastic communicator. He got his point across, and he conveyed that to other people to the point where they bought into it, and that's what, one of the reasons why he was a great leader, and that trend has continued throughout history. So how would you advise people to protect themselves if they are considering hypnosis, well, well, let's have a look first at why they would consider hypnosis. Would it be to treat anxiety? Uh, Potentially. Dependence? Yeah. There's there's a whole range of, of issues that could be tackled through hypnosis. The evidence base for uh, the, the process generally is increasing every year. Um, uh, not so long back, it was... It was professional suicide for a, a, a scientist or a researcher to say that they were researching hypnosis. It's a bit like people saying they're a, U, a UFO investigator. It's going to get a certain reaction from people. They're going to be like, right, yeah, okay, I'll steer clear of you, mate. Whereas these days, thanks to MRI scans and, and the increase in technology, that's proven that hypnosis is real. And it's now been accepted as being a distinct state that's worthy of investigation, especially as lots of drugs are either undesirable for, for people generally or the side effects are too severe. It's it's becoming another aspect of what can be done to help people to be more how they'd rather be. So the way I, I describe it is if, if there's a, an aspect of how you think, feel or behave that you want to change, hypnosis could be a good way of bringing that about. So it can be a benign source of intervention yeah, as opposed, can to, be. as opposed to medication which my doctor advises me that all medicines have side effects. Yeah. Um, having experienced hypnosis myself, I can tell you that the only side effect of it is increased happiness, <laughs> uh, in That's my good. case anyway, uh, and increased confidence and 
whatever makes the world work better uh, and, and without side effects. Mm-hmm. So, but actually, I, just to go back a step, I actually have a friend who is a, a UFO researcher. <laughs> <laughs> and when I ask him for a definitive answer, he always says, the truth is out there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, I think he's watched too much... Uh, Bit too TV. much X-Files. Yeah, X-Files. Now, so, so in order to allay any fears people might have about hypnotism, you would recommend them to go to somewhere that is a registered practitioner? Well, the, the thing with hypnosis is that it's an unregulated industry. Well, there's, there's voluntary self-regulation. So there's no, the, theoretically, there's nothing stopping you becoming a hypnotherapist tomorrow. You could get business cards printed, you could have a website made, you could start getting customers and you wouldn't be breaking any law. The thing is, you would very quickly be seen if somebody did some investigating for being new to the scene and having zero reviews and not using the right kind of terminology. And there would be there would be warning signs that would be especially noticeable if I was looking at your website, but the the, the general public as well, if they did some research, if they if they looked a little deeper than the surface would start to see, see inconsistencies when they compared you against other established hypnotherapists in the area. So you would suggest that people did their research diligently? Yeah. Particularly online, yeah. if possible, or by word of mouth, maybe. Yeah, both uh, are, from both are fantastic. Yeah. And there, there is that combination of the two in that these days we all look at reviews. Whether, whether we're getting a, a sandwich or buying a TV, the reviews are a factor in, in whether you go to one shop or another. So someone that's been around for a while will have reviews. They're, if they've been successful, then there's going to be people that have voluntarily put themselves out there and said, this was successful for me. I saw this person and it was great because I went from this state to this state. So whether a, a hypnotherapist is actively asking people to leave them reviews or not, if they're any good and if they've been around for a while, they will have reviews. So well, that's a, a good first step. That's basically about the only way you can protect yourself, isn't it? That's, there are, there that's are one of them. associations, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no obligation for anybody yeah. to join them. And to be honest, there's, there's an increasing dissatisfaction with a lot of the governing bodies. Um, there's a few big ones, the General Hypnotherapy Register and the National Council for Hypnotherapy. Both, to a degree, are a way of those companies making money. Yes. Also, there's a thing with trade associations that I fell foul of some years ago. I didn't fall foul. I was actually part of it. But uh, the Federation of Master Builders, customers think that's there to protect them. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's an association of its members, and it's there to protect the members. And I think most of these voluntary societies are of that nature. So due diligence, that's your, that's your first uh, yeah. port of call. And report. When you're entering into a therapeutic relationship, you've got to be happy with the person that you're in that relationship with. If you've got some gut instinct, if you've got a little voice somewhere inside your mind saying, I'm not too sure about this person, I don't think I feel that great about them, you might not be able to quantify what that is, but if there's that gut instinct, listen to it. So if there's any bar to honesty and openness in that relationship, then you're better off out of it, finding someone... With whom you can relate. Yeah. And if and if you're honest with the, the mm-hmm. hypnotherapist that you're doing your due diligence with and checking them out and seeing how you fit and whether they're right for you, if you get to that point where you say, actually, no, I don't think you're the right person for me, if that therapist is any good, they'll say, fantastic. I'm really pleased that you're listening to that voice. Yeah. Can I help you find somebody else that might suit you better? 
they they should be looking out for you and your best interests. We're not used to that kind even of honesty in, in business, are we? Well, yeah, which is which is why it's nice to be in that kind of profession where I, I can say to people up front, I might not be right for you. And if I'm not, please tell me. I'll refund your money. I'll help you find somebody else that works better for you. I'll give you that next step, that next port of call that moves you, hopefully, closer to getting what it is that you want. Well, you can't say fairer than that, Richard. That's that's wonderful. Once once someone has, has come to you, or any other hypnotist for that matter, and they've accepted that hypnosis may well be a way forward for them, because it's not always a guarantee, is no. it? Nothing's guaranteed. No. Death and taxes. <laughs> so once they've actually accepted that and begun a course of hypnotherapy, and they enter, or you help them enter into a hypnotic state, because this is something from my experience, that you do largely yourself with the assistance of a hypnotherapist. That's right. Right. At that point, who is in control? The client, not the hypnotherapist. Yeah. And how how do you define that? Some people have this misconception that, that a hypnotherapist or a hypnotist is in a position of power and authority where they make the person they're working with do the things that they want them to do. This does go back, you mentioned Mesmer at the, the beginning of the interview. He was uh, he was around a couple of hundred years ago. He believed in a thing called animal magnetism that then became hypnotherapy. He put out this, this idea that he was the one that had the authority, that he was the one that was in, in control and he was going to make things happen to his subjects. This is a very common misconception. Yeah, it's it's the it's the swinging watches and the top hats and the zigzaggy lines coming out of the ends of the fingers as they're yeah, pointed yeah, towards yeah. the face of the subject who's yeah, zombie-like. It's it's a misconception, it's not true. If if you don't want to be in a hypnotic state and a hypnotherapist is doing their thing, saying all the things that have the potential to put you in a hypnotic state, if you in your head are saying, No, I don't agree. No, I'm not gonna I'm sitting here with my eyes closed. I'm hearing everything that you're saying, but no, I'm not going to go into that state. I'm not going to feel those things that you're talking about. Mm. Then you won't. Can I offer a little bit of an insight here mm. to uh, whoever's listening to this? I find that in, in a hypnotic state, you are there because you want to be. Yeah. You are aware the whole time that you can actually release yourself from this. You've only got to open your eyes. Mm-hmm. But if the therapist is any good, you don't want to. Yeah. You want to be there because you know this is working for you and you know it's happening and you know you're safe. You're surrounded by wisdom, I think, self-wisdom. You, yeah. you become aware of yourself and you, you then become aware that, yeah, this is, has a potential to do really good things for me, so I want to stay here. And yeah. you stay there. You don't jerk out of the thing. But you are also aware that you can, at a moment's notice, just click your fingers and... Yeah. You're out of it, so that that's the safety yeah. element for me. And if anyway. and if the if the client was under the power of the hypnotist, then if they wanted to come out of it but weren't able to, that would back up the misconception that yeah. the hypnotist has the power. But yeah, there are people I've worked with in the past for whom the process wasn't going the way they wanted it to. They and it's a very small number of people. But I, I worked with one person once. They stopped a session part way through their first hypnotic session and they said I'm really sorry I can't continue I've had this voice in my head for the last 20 minutes saying that I need to be working with a female hypnotist and I was right. like okay there's there's yeah. no point as continuing because I'm not female 
And I, if that voice inside you is is saying that's a precondition for change, then no matter how good I am, no matter how many sessions we have, chances are you're not going to get what you want. So I gave her a money back, said, here's the number of, number of a couple of other female hypnotherapists that I rate in the city. Give them a call, tell them I sent you, and I wish you all the success. So, Well, I congratulate you on that. I mean, I, I, people who come for hypnotherapy are quite vulnerable anyway. Yeah. And uh, and it's great that you respect them to that extent. And I respect I, you for that. I'd say it's essential. And the, yeah. the therapists that aren't doing that are doing their, their clients a disservice. Just, just a quick statement about when you have someone in that hypnotic state, mm-hmm. I, I, I hesitate to call it a trance because that takes us back to the zigzag lines and the, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when someone is in, in a hypnotic state, how aware are they of the external world? That's, uh, there's a huge variety of answers to that question. They're all very personal and individual to that person that's in that state at that moment. Mm. The way I describe it is there's a kind of spectrum rather than a hypnotic state being a a singular destination that everybody should be focusing on on achieving. Instead, it's it's a broad spectrum. And at one end, there's a very light kind of trance. So being very aware of yourself, the room, the words that the hypnotherapist is saying, the thoughts that you're having inside your head, feeling like you could open your eyes and not really feeling a whole lot different to how you would be if you were just sitting in a room having a chat with someone. At the other end of that spectrum, there's the there's the stereotypical person in a trance, the slumped over to one side, um, off with the fairies, bit of drool coming out the corner of their mouth. Oh, just, glad of that. <laughs> just not there at all. And and it's a small number of people that get those two extreme experiences. It tends to be the majority of the population falls somewhere between the two. And it tends to be for most people, they kind of move backwards and forwards within that kind of middle zone. So over the course of a hypnotic session, chances are the process will be for most people that they'll start off conscious, awake, alert. They'll become quieter, more still, more more focused internally. So to the point where I've, I've worked with some people who um, I was working in a place that was next to a really busy main road and at least three fire engines went past at one point and I had to stop. And it was I was stopped for a decent chunk of time just letting them pass before continuing. And then at the end of the session, when when they came back to the room, I, I said, oh, really sorry about the, the fire engines. Hope they didn't get in the way too much. And she said, what fire engines? There was no <clears throat> conscious recollection of this incredibly na- loud noise that had lasted for a big chunk of time. Just wasn't there in her awareness. So right. it's possible to hear everything. It's possible to hear nothing. Chances are it will be somewhere in between. between. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's just so that people know what to expect. Sure. Because you, you couldn't be forgiven for thinking sometimes that if you are aware of external noises, you could be forgiven for thinking you perhaps haven't achieved a proper hypnotic state. That is and what you're saying to me is there is no such thing as a pos- as a proper hypnotic state. No. It, it is a, a varying, it's, a broad yeah. spectrum. And it's it's the right state for you. If you're in a place where you're going... I'm feeling good about where I'm at. Then you might mm-hmm. you might hear exactly what's said. In which case, great, because yeah. the therapist will be talking about the things that you've told them that you want to be talked about. It might be that you don't have any conscious recollection, like of the fire engines. Yeah. But if that was applied to what the therapist is saying about you and your change, and that that isn't consciously processed, it's it's a bit like those words kind of go under the radar because you would still be in the same room. You wouldn't be asleep. You'd be in a hypnotic state, which is different. 
And if you don't consciously process those words, they can still be taken on board. So I've, I've worked with people that have used my exact language back at me when I've met up with them in a subsequent session and said, how is it since the last time I saw you when you were in that hypnotic state? When they describe what's happened, they use word for word the words that I used during the session. Right. But they don't, they're, they're saying them like they're their words rather than the words that yes, I use that yeah. they've taken on board. Yeah. You love it when your ideas are coming back to you. Yeah, it shows it's, yeah. it's having an effect. Yeah. So how did you get into becoming a hypnotist? And how did you see it as a beneficial treatment? What what was the trigger that took you in this direction? I'd always wanted to help people. And it, I'd started off being a counsellor. Even when I was in secondary school, I was, I was starting to move in that direction. Um, did a city and guild in counselling after I left school and started to to do the groundwork but then quickly realized that I didn't handle my own stress at that time of life particularly well I had a lot going on and the idea of me being in a position to help other people with their stresses and difficulties it it just didn't fit who I was at that time so I I stepped away from that path moved in a completely different direction until in my mid to late 20s a close friend was going through a difficult time she'd seen a she went to see a a hypnotherapist and she came around to my house straight after the session because in her words she said that the, that the guy was sleazy mm-hmm. that she she didn't feel settled or comfortable or supported so when he said close your eyes she closed one eye fully she closed one eye half and sort of kept an eye on him during the session just in case obviously there was no hypnotic experience as a result because she she wasn't in a position to to let go comfortably there was no positive effect from what he did, therapy-wise. She came around to my house, bitched about the hypnotherapist, bitched about the, the problems in her life that she'd been to see him about. And we talked for hours, hours and hours. And and she got to a point at the end of that conversation where she, she took, I remember, she took a big deep breath in and let it out with a sigh and said, oh, I feel so much better. You mm. should be a hypnotherapist. Not that guy, he was rubbish you've done a much better job. I was like, maybe I'm now at that age where I'm past my my difficulties in my late twe- late teens and early 20s. And and it had that, that time to get past that, to accumulate some life experience as well, which I think I think that counts for a lot. If you're seeing a, a 22-year-old therapist and you're 40, 50, 60 years old, there's going to be an element of, yeah, what the hell do you know about life? Why Why should I listen to what you've got to say? They could be saying the exact same things a 40-year-old therapist would say, but it's who it's coming from that has an effect. It, yeah. It can be perceived differently. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's as if you're you're giving book learning as opposed to experiential yeah. wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's how you got into it. Now, how long have you been doing it now? 10 years. It's my 10th year. Your tenth year. Well, by the way, I have heard that before about uh, the the previous experience that your lady friend had. Mm. I've heard that before from another lady, and uh, and yeah, it doesn't work. And but at that time, I don't think there were many female hypnotists in Sheffield. Uh, I, maybe one or two. Yeah, it's it's a small demographic of people that that are in this line of work. Thankfully, as as research is increasing the the number of people 
offering it as a service and also looking for it as a service are increasing. So, yeah, compared to two years ago, it used to be sort of a, a small advert in the back of a, a newspaper would be how they'd get their work. And it was a very small number of people that, that did that. These days, there's a lot more choice and, and a lot more professionalism. There are there are always exceptions in any business, I suppose, as to people that are particularly good and people that aren't for whatever reason. But again, that comes back to the due diligence and the, the not jumping in with the first person that you might chat to, having a, an ask around. Yeah. Do you find this as a growth industry? Yeah, people people always struggle with various things. And when you add in the, the state of the economy, the state of government, the state of the world generally, there's there's more than enough for some people to, to have difficulties with. And add into that the cuts to the NHS, it, it means that there's a lot more people that find themselves in need, that they're, they're saying, I, I want to do something about where I'm at, but I don't know what to do. So they start looking. It tends to be they type in symptoms or particular goals that they've got into something like Google, and that's when they might find someone like me. And the number of times I speak to people where they say, I hadn't even considered hypnosis as a possibility, but when I typed in the thing that I wanted to do, it popped up on a blog somewhere. I then looked for somebody nearby that did it. I found you. Here I am. Right. Just tell me again, what was the name of your company? Focused Hypnosis. Focused Hypnosis. What's your actual role in it these days? It's changed recently. The best part of nine years, the business has been just me and... It's been fantastic. It's been a, a, a wonderful way for me to, to earn my money, to support my family and, and to enjoy my job. I've got much better at what I'm doing over the years with practice, with extra training. And the business has grown to the point where I've got the Sheffield Wellness Centre as my base of operations for, for me to work from, but also other therapists to work from. And as a result, my profile's grown, reviews have increased, more work's come through than I can handle. So... Within the last six months, it's focused hypnosis is turning into a, a sort of group practice. So it's me and a number of other hypnotherapists. There's five of us in total. And we're able to offer a greater variety of, of people available at different times for different prices. Different people, different therapists having different specialisations as well. So I'm a bit more of a practice manager these days, more sort of principal. And then there's the other people that work alongside me so, so it's... You, yeah so you now have female hypnotists in your group that's right so yeah. if any ladies feel a little apprehensive like the one you mentioned yeah. earlier, it's possible to have one-to-one that's right therapy yeah. with a, and with and a... equally there's there's people i've worked with uh men that i've worked with in the past that have said that they wouldn't feel comfortable talking to a woman about their particular issue and that mm. they wanted to speak to another man the thing is with hypnosis it's a it's a very female dominated industry the vast majority of hypnotherapists are women. And maybe it ties in with sort of what's expected. There's there's lots of female therapists generally, not as many men, but thankfully things in that that field are also changing. There's there's an increasing sort of diversity. And yeah, it tends to mean that there is somebody out there for you, for your particular thing that you can feel comfortable talking to if you take the time to look for them. Just to briefly drop back to hypnosis itself can you sum up in a few sentences how it actually works this is where there's debate there's agreement that hypnosis as a state is real that it exists 
as to why there's still research being done into that. So it's it's a bit like we know that it it's real and that it works. We're not a hundred percent sure how. How long lasting are the effects of of treatment of a session? Potentially lifelong. Um, there are people that have been hypnotized and. 20, 30, 40 years later, are still, for example, a non-smoker. And that there's been no maintenance needed, there's been no annual top-ups needed. They just had that treatment, and then it's lasted them the rest of their life. There are other people that that have a course of hypnosis, and it's effective. But over time, things shift and change, and it, it decreases in effectiveness. And sometimes people find themselves backsliding a little, or completely going back to previous behavior. It's very much. It's a very individual thing. So it's it's not a it's not a standardized process. So there's uh, people might have heard of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's become a bit of a golden child over the last twenty years or so uh, for the medical profession. It's been the the alternative to medication in a lot of cases. The reason for that is because they standardized it. They they gave the same treatment, the same process to different groups of people. They did that that research into the numbers and found that it was at least as effective as medication in a lot of cases. So that's why it got used yes. as much as it did. The thing with hypnosis, it's not a standardised thing. What is said by the hypnotherapist to the client is for that client. So if that client has depression, the words that would be used, the processes, the techniques would be different for that person with depression compared to another person with depression. It would be the same issue, but because they're different people with different motivators, different history, different focuses, different language, different goals, that's all adapted to by the hypnotherapist, which means that it's not been able to be standardised, which means it's still been sort of lower down the, the scale of possible therapies as far as the NHS is concerned, despite hypnosis having been recognised by the British Medical Association in the, the 1950s. It was seen as a, a useful part of medicine that should be made a part of, of what's done, but that that training hasn't happened. There is an increasing number of doctors that are saying, yes, it can work, and unfortunately I can't prescribe hypnosis, but there are people that can help you with your thing if you go looking for them, which is a great advancement. So if people do find that they need further sessions of hypnosis. Just to interpret what you were saying earlier, it may well be that the the things that are causing them the problem in their life that have shifted. Mm-hmm. We've sort of put up a defence or a shield against the problems they come with, but then if their life changes, which everyone's life changes over yeah. uh, an extended period, they may find depressions and anxieties coming at them from somewhere completely left field that they'd never experienced before. Mm-hmm. So... There again, they could always come back to people like yourself and build a defence against those kind of uh, assailments. Perfectly possible. Is that a word even? (laughs) Let's say it is. Whatever, it'll do for now. (laughs) Um, How many sessions? Yeah, before people actually get into doing this, when they've done their due diligence on the site, I mean, I know on your site people have said like two, three treatments or whatever have been Mm -hmm. sufficient. How many treatments or visits do you consider would be essential to uh, to affect a change in people's perceptions and lives through hypnosis? Again, it's, it's back to that spectrum. Um, because it's a very individual, very personal process, 
I can I can tell you what the average is, which is about two or three sessions of hypnosis for, for the people that I've worked with. Though I've got a colleague who works super fast, I'm always intrigued that, that she sees people once or twice. And it doesn't seem that we work that differently, but obviously things are different between the two of us. We have different training, different experiences. There are people I've worked with in the past, for example, who I've not hypnotised at all who have changed. So I know it's it's incredible. Just somebody listening, though, can make a difference. Yeah, that's the therapy part. Yeah, but but this this was on the phone. This was having a chat with somebody on the phone about what hypnosis is, about their particular circumstances, giving them a bit of real information rather than hearsay and basing it on the, the stage hypnosis stuff. We had a conversation, um, one person in particular, I'm thinking of a good couple of years ago. It was about a 20-minute, 30-minute com- conversation. The way it was left was, thanks for the information, I'll take some time and have a think about it and I'll get back to you and let you know about booking a consultation. I was like, right, fine, no problem, nice chatting to you. A number of weeks later, they called me up and said, I assumed straight away that they were calling back to book. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just get my diary. And they're like, no, 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 there's, there's no need. I'm, I'm just not doing that thing anymore. Since I spoke to you two weeks ago, I stopped that thought process. My life changed. I just don't do that thing anymore. Even though I'd not hypnotised them. We just had a chat on the phone for 20 minutes, half well, an you, hour. Yeah, do you feel that sometimes you're the first person that's ever actually heard their voice? I know what you mean. Because yes. a, doc- a doctor's surgery is either 10 or 15 minutes Oh, it's, it's less than that and, now. Yeah. About seven minutes. And you never get heard. Mm. And you don't get heard anywhere else. And if if you are the first person who actually hears that voice that they've got inside, mm-hmm. that's desperate to get out, maybe sometimes that's that's halfway to effecting the change. I, I definitely agree with that. I would and suggest, actually, that they had a, a session after to reinforce that. Yeah. And give it some long-term prevention. From, from returning yeah I would suggest that definitely even if the hypnotherapist makes you feel really good on the phone it's uh, yeah it's worth going to see them without giving any patient confidentiality away which I, I know you don't do no and and I wouldn't ask what problems do you see the most of is there a list that it does it do you have a hit hit list you know anxieties Pretty high up the list. Um, weight issues are incredibly common. Insomnia is also part of it. Sometimes these are, are the reason that people are getting in touch with me. Someone might be five stone overweight, for example, and they say, I want to lose some weight, which is great, fine. I can I can talk to you about that and see what we can do. But it's through the consultation, the, the first face-to-face meeting, quite often there's things that are talked about that, that are, are common themes among lots of people, that not just people that might be overweight, for example. It's things like self-confidence, the things that we tell ourselves in our own heads about ourselves. About 70% of the work that I've done has been helping people to lose weight over the last 10 years. The number of times people have told me that when they see themselves in a mirror, which they try and avoid doing, but when they do, they hear a voice in their head that's highly critical, often quite offensive, in its analysis of what they look like. I think I've heard that one. Most people have had it to a degree sometimes, but these people seem to have it a lot, all the time. Um, really offensive stuff. If someone came up to you in the street and said this to your face, you'd maybe want to smack them or maybe burst into tears or run away. But because it's your voice in your head about you when you look in the mirror, 
it's like that person just nods and agrees and yep I am that yeah. and and it's like they they believe it and they take it on and and make it a part of themselves so from that initial acceptance of that that the voice is real every other expression of self-doubt they hear they then accept as being part of that so you begin yep. the downward spiral yeah and which ends in you can do yeah yeah hopefully one of the things I wanted to ask you is, how does it make you feel being a hypnotist, helping other people? You know, what sort of feedback are you getting on a personal level? It's the only job I've ever had, and I've had a, a whole range of different jobs over the years. It's the only one that I've got genuine job satisfaction from. So it's, I, I still remember the the first year or two of, of doing what I do as a hypnotherapist not only could I believe that people were actually paying me money for doing what I was doing, because to begin with, I, I had some self-doubts. I'd done the training, but I didn't have the experience. And it came to the end of the session. I, I'd not make eye contact. I'd almost reluctantly ask them to pay. Sometimes even forgot to ask them to pay because I was so sort of overwhelmed with, with the session and what I'd done. It was a it was great, off you go. I hope your day's fantastic and enjoy. And, and afterwards, I'd be like, damn, I never even asked him to pay me <laughs> because it wasn't about the money. So it was kind of easy to forget that. But as I've gained more experience, as I've gained more feedback, I've become more confident in myself. I know that I've had some profound effects on multiple people's lives. I know that that there are people all over the country that are now in a completely different place mentally and physically than they were because of what I did. So you sleep and, well at night? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard work. I can't see more than four, maybe five people in a day. And I always have to have a decent gap between them, at least half an hour, but ideally an hour. And need that time to reset, to put that person and that I've just seen, put them to one side, to gather myself in the present so that I'm in the best state possible for the next person that's going to come through the door so I can give them everything I've got. I couldn't do a, a conveyor belt type of, business I couldn't well, otherwise see. You, you spend all day treating the same person. Yeah. You stick to basically treating the first set of thoughts you you'd have. Yeah. I can I can understand that. Can I ask you, do you ever have a failure? Yeah, plenty. All the time. But I embrace them now. I used to be I used to be paralyzed by the fear of failing, of, of things not going well. But I now make a point now I've got kids, I, I talk to them about how I'm a failure in different ways. And have done. So I remember I was talking to my five-year-old son about this the other day. He's just started at school and there's a girl in his class that he really likes. And I said, have you told her that you like her? I'm not encouraging him to have a girlfriend, but I'm just encouraging him to talk about his feelings and, and communicate effectively, which ties in with the hypnosis side of things. And he said, no, 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 I, I, I couldn't. I won't. No, I'm not going to talk to her. I said, there was a girl when I was a kid at school, really, really liked her, wanted her to be my girlfriend, and did for five years. She was in my class, never said a word. And I regret it. I wish I had her done. And and I don't want him to have those those same limitations, that, that same failure. So I tell him about that failure to embrace the opportunity of that moment. She could have said yes. She could have said no. But because I failed to communicate how I felt, she never knew either way, and I failed. Yeah. Oh, so it's well, better to know is, yeah, than not know. Men aren't supposed to do, isn't it? For well, in particular. Yeah, in particular. It's, it, it, 
thankfully that's changing it's and it ties in with the whole mental health discussion that's happening there's a lot more people that are willing to say this is where i'm at this is how i feel thanks for the invitation to the party but no my social anxiety is really high today and i can't make it and they're willing to give it a name they're willing to say it out loud whether it's a man or a woman it's it's becoming more acceptable to have those kind of conversations and i suppose that's also feeding the the hypnotherapy profession people are are more willing to say this is how i feel i'm struggling with my anxiety or depression today and because they're starting that conversation with somebody it's opening up the possibility for for greater knowledge to be imparted so in saying i'm struggling with this mental health issue today and that person then be in a position where they could say oh i've got a mate that had that but they saw a hypnotherapist and it really helped them and it could be the thing that that puts that person onto a path that can lead to a solution. A lot of people at my age are overcoming conditioning. Mm. I mean, we we were very highly conditioned as children and young adults, teenagers particularly. I mean, the kids think that there's peer pressure now. I mean, there always was. Mm-hmm. And that even in my day, there was peer pressure. And we were conditioned to behave a certain way. I mean, I've gone through that experience that you had with the young girl. Mm-hmm. Probably several times, actually, <laughs> because we were conditioned to, to you know, you, you stood up, you were the one, if girls didn't come to you, you, you weren't getting anywhere. You, I mean, that, was, <laughs> that was how it was in my day, because if you went and asked a girl, they used to say, what do you think I am? You know, I mean, it, yeah. and, and they were conditioned too. Nowadays, you'd probably get a very different response. Mm. And, and I applaud that. I think it's probably as a result of being so many of us living cheek by jowl, we can't keep up the pretense for, for very long. I just have one last question for you, and I, I've really enjoyed this interview. I'd like to say thank you very much for, it's been a pleasure. for your time. It's It's been very entertaining, not just entertaining, very, very informative. But are there people that cannot be hypnotised? No. Everybody has the ability to go into a hypnotic trance, to a hypnotic state. <clears throat> and everyone listening to this has done it multiple times throughout their lives. But they didn't call it a hypnotic state. Yeah. They didn't call it a trance. They they said they were off with the fairies or daydreaming or on automatic pilot or in the zone or zoned out or glazed over. We've got so many different names. It's all the same kind of thing. It's a state of focused attention. So if you're focused on your hobby, if you're a wood turner and you're making a, a wooden bowl and you're giving it your undivided attention and you're being really precise about your movements... You might look up from the work that you're doing and see that three hours has passed, like in the blink of an eye. So you've only just started and, oh my God, three hours, where's the time gone? Your attention was so focused, your perception of time wasn't there. And time distortion is a, is a hypnotic phenomenon. Losing track of time means that you're engrossed in something. It had your full attention. You weren't thinking about anything else. So naturally, we go into these hypnotic states and, and this has been true throughout history. Staring into fires was a way of going into a trance. So for ancient ancestors, there might have been a, a shaman as part of the tribe, and fire is quite often a part of those kind of ceremonies, as are rhythmical drumming and dancing. These are all ways of entering this, this altered state, this, this different mental place. So it's something that it's, it's hardwired into us. It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. Do you feel it's a part of our creativity too? I mean, the shaman was the guy who saw the stories in the flames, mm. in the fire. Can, and, can and lead to very creative states, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I've, I've spoken to people who've 
who through hypnosis have been able to tap into clarity, into into things that were already there, but were brought into a different kind of focus as a result of switching off from the outside world and and maybe some time distortion and time whizzing by. They've they've been able to hear themselves. They've been able to think about things about themselves and what they want in a different kind of way to bring that clarity back with them. And at the end of the session, able to go, I know what I need to do. I know how to do it. I'm going to do it. And and it seems so obvious and so straightforward. It always was. But it was the chatter of life that kind of got in the way and, and swamped that creativity or that that ambition or that drive. But there's there's a lot there just beneath the surface that I don't think people are tapping into as effectively as they could a lot of the yeah. time. Do you ever work with writers? Blocked writers, for instance? I haven't specifically for that group, but it is the kind of thing that I would imagine hypnotherapy could be very effective with. It I would through through having difficulty with my own writing sometimes, uh, especially when I was at university, it tended tended to me uh, to be over analysis. It was a uh, too much going on in my head for me to be able to pick out the thread of what it was that I wanted to get down on the page, and it led to that that inability to start. It's almost a, it's almost like a, a physical stutter. Yeah, uh, you you can't. You know, you, if you could you, just you, get there, things going, if you could just get that yeah. first syllable out, you'd be you'd be away. Anyway, Richard Hennessy of Focused Hypnosis, practice manager of the Wellness Centre. Thank you very very much for that interview. I really enjoyed that, Richard. Thank you. You've just been listening to another excellent podcast from Urban Tiger Radio, sponsored by Cybermouse Multimedia. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, don't forget to click the little heart button on your way out and let everyone else know that you like it. So, once again, that's a goodbye from me and a from now. Bye.